chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading at verse 1, verses 1 through 22. Luke chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. First, let's pray. Gracious Lord, we have so much to thank you for. We thank you for, for, for all that, that helps us to grow in our faith. We thank you for the people who have played a role in our, our, our growth in faith. We thank you for all those who have pointed us towards you throughout our lives. But most we give you thanks for, for this book, that this book points us to you and for the transformation that there is in Christ. Now, as we, as we read these words and as we ponder these words for a few moments, we ask that we might hear your voice speak to us. Speak clearly, Lord. For sometimes we can be a little slow. All of us can. And we need to hear your voice. So speak softly. Speak clearly to us, Lord. And may we be transformed. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Luke chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the, of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. The soldiers also asked him, and what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages as the people were in expect expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning john whether he might be the christ john answered them all saying i baptize you with water but he who is mightier than i uh, is is coming the strap of whose sandals i'm not worthy to untie he'll baptize you with the holy spirit and with fire his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. 
So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As I think about my life, and I'm sure um, this would be true of, of, of all of us, as we think about our lives, there are certain times and places that stand out more than others. I mean, for, for many of us, we were baptized as, as infants. I think some were probably baptized as adults, but many of us were baptized as infants. And although none of us who were baptized as a baby have any real recollection of that at all, this stands as one of the very first um, I, I places of remembrance, if not for us as, as individuals, certainly for our families. It's a, it's a marker. It's a point in time. It's a point in history for each one of us who have gone through the waters of baptism. For those who are adults and were baptized as adults, that moment is a moment that's remembered. It's a moment that's, that's cherished. It's a moment that's held on to. I remember, I mean, I, I'm sure many of us do, I remember the, the, the first day that I met my wife. I remember seeing her walking into the library at St. Mary's College at the University of St. Andrews. She had long curly hair and she had bells in her jeans. And I remember her walking into the library. I remember the sound of her more than I remember the sight of her in that, in that first moment. I remember the day that um, I asked her to be my wife. I remember our wedding day. I remember the day that uh, Gregor was born. I remember the day all my children were born, but the, the, your firstborn sticks in your mind, I think, um, because everything changes in that day, in that moment. I remember there was a friend of mine in North Carolina in the church I was in at the time. Um, he constantly said to me, Ian, you have no idea what's coming. You have no idea what's coming. And I was like, oh, how, how bad can it be? <laughs> It's just another person living in my house. How bad can it be? Oh my goodness. <laughs> For those of us that have children know exactly how much everything changes in that, the coming of your, of your firstborn. So there are moments in our lives. I remember when I was, was ordained to the ministry. I remember when I was installed here. It wasn't all that long ago. Can you believe I've almost been here a year? Almost a year. It was it was the first Sunday in February, it was my first Sunday in here, and we're almost there. I remember that there are moments in our lives that, that are important, they're significant, they, they stand out. Culturally as well, there are moments that, that always stand out, that, that, that mean something for good or for ill. We could look back, um, we could look back uh, over certain generations, and I think there are markers 
there are moments in every generation that, that, that stand out. Just a few weeks ago, we celebrated the 100th anniversary of the armistice, didn't we? That was a moment in time. We could think about Pearl Harbor, couldn't we? That's a moment in time, a cultural moment that's remembered in our, um, our, our shared memory, our shared consciousness. Uh, John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, 9-11. All of those moments, for good or for ill, are moments that are remembered. They're all key moments, and they're all very, very real moments in our lives, in our society, in our world, and in our culture. I think it's significant that this passage that we read today from Luke's gospel begins not so much with moments, but it begins with people. I don't know if you, if you noticed that. At the beginning of this chapter, we find, we do find a moment at the very beginning. We find Luke writing in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Luke is giving us a moment in time about a very particular person. He was the, the emperor that followed Augustus, Tiberius Caesar, the 15th year. Depending on which line of scholarship you follow, that was either 27 or 29 AD. It's a time, it's a real time, it's a moment in history. And then you have these other characters that Luke brings in, Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. He was governor from 26 to, 30, <coughs> to 36. He was there for a very particular time. Luke is pointing us to a moment in history, a real moment, a real time. And Luke actually gets very, very real here, more real than I think most of us imagine. And he uses a wee bit of humor or maybe satire in this passage, believe it or not. He talks about the tetrarchs, uh, the four rulers of that region. But then he mentions two characters, Annas and Caiaphas. It says, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Now, the, th the interesting thing is, there was only ever one high priest at a time. There was only ever one high priest. So why is Luke mentioning two high priests? Well, because he's being a wee bit sarcastic here. Caiaphas was actually the high priest during this particular period, for this period of time. But his father-in-law was a man named Annas. And um, it was almost a kind of mafioso thing that was going on. <laughs> Annas was the one who was really in charge. He kept his, his hand in control of things. So Luke is very much aware that Caiaphas is the one who's high priest, but Annas is the one who's pulling all the strings. So he's using a wee bit of political satire Luke is being very, very real in this moment. Well, why is he setting the stage like this? Why is he being so real? Well, I think he's being so real because he wants us to grasp that this is not some imaginary story that he's telling for some imaginary people. This is a very real story that he's telling set in real time with real, uh, with, with real rulers and real authorities real people in places of power. This is something that happened. And it's a story that's not just a random story that's made up, but it's a story that's taking place at a real time, in a very real place, 
for very, very real people. Well, who are these real people that Luke is talking about in this passage? Well, you, you find beginning in verse 10, there are three groups of people that Luke mentions. And I'm going to start with the last group, first of all, okay? At the end, you find he mentions soldiers. Before that, you find he mentions tax collectors. And then at the beginning of the, that section in verse 10, he talks about the crowds. Each one of them in turn asks a question. What should we do? What ought we to do? How can we be the type of people that God is calling us to be? How can we know that we are, are loved by God? Isn't that a question that so many of us ask? It's a very real question asked by very, very real people. Well, who are, who are these three groups? Who do these three groups represent? Well, let me suggest, beginning at the end, you first of all have the soldiers well, who were the soldiers? They were the occupying force. They were the ones who were in power. They were the ones who were in authority. They were the rulers. They represented all those who were in positions of power. And they come to John with a question, what should we do? And what does John say? John says to them, don't, ex don't extort money from anyone by threats. Or, or by false accusations, be content with your wages. Stop doing the things that you're doing that will harm those <coughs> around you. Do not use your power to abuse those who are under your authority. Stop. Stop and become like Christ. So the message that John is preaching is a message for those who are in power, those who have authority, those who are in significant positions. Well, what about the second group of people? It's tax collectors. Who are the tax collectors? Well, the tax collectors were those who were collaborators. Those were the ones who were seen as turning their back on their own people. They were abusing the people around them. They were abusing their brothers, their sisters, their friends, their neighbors, those with whom they had been raised, those with whom they had always been in relationship. They were given a level of power. Well, they didn't have absolute power, but over those, uh, those over whom they were given authority, they had a type of power, and they were abusing that power as well. And, and the message of John was stopping. Stop abusing those who are are under you. You have been given some authority, but you're also under authority. Stop it and become like Christ. So we've got those who are in power, those who are collaborators with those in power. And then we find the third group at the very beginning in verse 10. The crowds ask Jesus, what, what shall we do? And John responds, if you've got two tunics, give one away. If you've got extra food, share your food. What shall we do? What shall we do? Who are the crowds? The crowds are everybody. It's every, every man, every woman. It's anybody that would come. The crowd is just this mass of people. So who's this message for? 
The message is not just for those in power. It's, just, it's not just for those who are given secondary power. But the message is for absolutely anyone and everyone. It's a message that is for real people. It's a message for all those who realize that they have a need. It's a message for anyone who wants to know who God is, who God truly is, and who wants their life to be transformed. Well, what did that message consist of? Well, two things. First of all, the message of John was a message of repentance. I think we've talked about this before. What is repentance? What does it mean to repent? Does anyone remember what it means to repent? Anyone? Yes, ma'am. To tell your sins. Okay, part of repentance is confession, isn't it? It's to tell your sins. It's to confess. But there's a wee bit more to repentance. What else is there to repentance? Change. It means to change. The word repent literally means to do an about face. It means to turn around 180 degrees. You're going in one direction. Well, stop and turn and go in the other direction because that's the direction you need to be going in well how is that repentance brought about how is that repentance effected well in this passage i think it's very very interesting that people came to john because they thought that john had the answers people came to john because they thought john was the one and john said no 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 guys i'm not the one i'm not the light i'm just a witness i'm going to point you to the one who will show you who you really are i'm going to point you to the one who will show you who you really can be i'm going to point you to the one who will show you and let you know how much you are loved by your heavenly father friends this isn't about me says john this is about Jesus. This is all about Jesus. Wherever we read about John in the Gospels, John never points to himself. John always points beyond himself to the one who's coming after him, the one, the, the, the straps of whose sandals he's, he's unworthy to tie. He always points to Jesus. So the heart of this passage is a message of repentance it's a message of transformation it's a message of a life of sin changed and turned around not because of anything that we do not simply because we're listening to john but because we're looking to the one to whom john points to jesus christ himself and who is he well the end of the passage tells us in no uncertain terms. The Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove and rests upon him. And a voice speaks directly to him. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Friends, when we discover who Christ is, when we grasp this way of repentance 
this way of transformation, this way that Christ has for us. Just as that word came to Jesus himself, and if you look, you'll see it was a very intimate word in Luke's gospel. It's a word that only came to Jesus. I don't know if you noticed that. This wasn't a word for the crowds. This was a word for Jesus. You are my son. With you, I am well pleased. When we grasp who he is, that same word will come to you. It comes to me. You, Paul. You, Doug. You, Walter. You, Donald. You, Rebecca. You, Jean. You are my child. I love you. I am so pleased with you. That's God's word to you. Text asks the question, what should we do? Look to him. Trust in him. And hear that word. You are his beloved child. And he simply adores you. Do you know that? We'll know it today. And your life will be utterly transformed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The hymn is number 688.